Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about to books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, I need you to look at this lump uh, on my head. Um, this like possibly fatal which, lump. Which lump? The lump. See there, right above my ear. Okay. Small, possibly fatal lump just above my ear. That I don't right know if there. I don't know if I've ever had you look at it before. No, you have me look at it all the time. Okay. But... Just by feeling it, are you able to tell, like, if it's a serious, um, fatal, probably fatal lump right. on my head? No, I mean, it's a cyst. Hmm. I'm going to need See how some. it hurts when I poke on it? Ow! Sh- sh- shoot! See? Shoot, that hurts. Yeah. Gosh darn it. Yeah, you're going to have to get that cut out. It's not, fa- it's not fatal, though. I'm it's- afraid I'm going to need some assistance to get it removed. Was that a joke? Yeah, because you said it's a cyst. Oh. But you're able just by... You're just full of them. Just by touching it, you're able to tell if it's fatal or not. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also I've told you like a lot of times that it's not fatal, but, you know. Yeah, it's your second opinion. You you know what else I could tell just by mashing on your head there? What? What else? Well, I can tell that you're a very hopeful person. You are really great at friendship but not so great at legality. Wow, you can tell all that just by just by touching my head? No, I can't tell any of that by touching your head. But for a long time, people thought you could. Really? Yeah. How? Well, phrenology. Phrenology? Yeah, you know, this is something I think a lot of people wanted us to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people I know for sure have asked us are Matt and uh, Christopher. But I think they are not alone. A lot of people have questioned if we've avoided this because it's still popular. Um, No, we just hadn't gotten to it yet. (laughs) Yes. And it's possible I might have told you that we were avoiding it because it's still popular because I was confusing it with something else. That is possible. No. Always a possibility. I don't, as far as I know, and I mean, we'll get to this. This is not still popular. I'm sure there are still people who practice it and believe in it and do it. Absolutely. But that doesn't prove anything. No. <laughs> but there are still people drilling holes in their head. So, and as we have told you many times, don't do that. Don't do that. That's expressly against our advice. Sydney, tell me about phrenology. Pretend, let's pretend for a second uh, that I don't know anything about it. I don't think you do. So that will not be, that will not, it will not be hard to will well, the suspension pretend. of my disbelief in that particular okay. arena. Right. 
Uh, so to understand why phrenology even is a thing, you kind of have to go back to one of our favorite figures here. Not, not Pliny. Not Pliny. Not Pliny or Pliny, depending on if you're me or everybody else. Uh, but Hippocrates. Ah. So. Hippocrates. <laughs> exactly. Hippocrates. Who says it that way? Bill and Ted. <laughs> well, they that, say Socrates, but I I assume the principle is the same. You know we you know who we don't reference enough on this show? Bill the, and Ted. Right, the historical prophecies of Bill and Ted. Yeah, the <laughs> teachings. It was like future and past. Um, okay, so the reason we're going back to Hippocrates is that before Hippocrates, everybody kind of believed that the heart was the center of. Um, like it controlled your whole body. It was the center of everything. Okay. So, and that kind of makes sense because when you, you can tell when somebody's heart is beating, it's not hard to sense that, you know, I mean, even without a stethoscope, you can feel it beating. You can sometimes hear it beating. It's you centrally can, located. Mm-hmm. It's in the center. Um, and when it stops, we yeah. know that's a bad thing. Yeah. That's not ideal. So a lot of people believe that it was probably the center of all your thought and your soul and your feelings and everything else too a lot of work for a single organ yeah yeah your heart is busy uh hippocrates disagreed though he thought that the center of your thought was probably your brain which you know is true (laughs) yeah that's like the right one that that may seem familiar to you at home because you know that to be an actual thing (laughs) that the heart is yes very very important to your uh, health and well-being. It's but not a one-man show. No, that the brain's involved too. Um, Galen, uh, a Roman physician, later agreed with this, and he took it a little further. He said that uh, the brain controls everything, and also, by the way, it's a cold, wet ball of sperm. In the case of most men, that is basically accurate. <laughs> I think it's a little, I mean, it's a little sexist, Galen. A little bit. If I'm being honest. There's also electricity in there too. Come on. Electric sperm. That's what your brain is. Electric sperm. If you yes. learn nothing from sawbones, please, you know, two things. Don't drill a hole in your head and your brain is really just a cold, wet ball of electric sperm. You know, electric sperm uh, was my favorite Bootsy Collins backing band. Uh, <laughs> def- easily top three. Uh, if there's not a band called electric sperm, there there should be. Um so, so based on this idea, you know, this, and the only reason I bring this up is that once we started to understand that the brain controlled things, that's when we started talking about where does, um, well, part of it was where does the soul live? What the stuff that makes you, you, and then where does your personality live? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what it, are there different parts of your brain that maybe make you certain ways and how do we figure all that out? It was a long time before we had any idea how to do that. And I should say, we still didn't have any idea how to do that in 1796, but we were going to go ahead and make it up, basically. We're going to give it a shot and see how it worked. So who who started this whole deal? Franz Joseph Gall. Franz Gall. Franz Gall. Is that like Gall? That isn't the same guy who came with the gallbladder, is it? Or the gallbladder? No, no. Um, actually, the gallbladder is because um, it stores bile, which was also called gall at one point. Oh, okay. Which we don't really call that anymore no we say bile gall didn't call it um phrenology in, initially mm-hmm. uh he called it cranioscopy 
That makes more sense to me. Yeah. I can can parse that. Because he was really, he he was trying to figure out, you know, the shape and the contours and the size of different parts of the, of the cranium of the skull. Uh, that was kind of the the basis of the theories that he would create. Um, later, there was a follower of his who dubbed it phrenology, which is like the study of thought. Mm. I think he just liked to touch heads. Oh, he's dirty. He's a dirty guy who likes to touch heads. He just likes to rub heads. He just likes to rub heads and come up with a BS excuse for Wilo to rub him so much. That's a weird way to get your jollies. Yeah, he's a weird dude. He actually, I, I will say this, from what I read, it doesn't sound like um, he, he came up with a theory, it made sense to him, It was pro- and we'll get into it, it was probably flawed, but he wasn't a zealot about it, I wouldn't say. Take it or leave it. I came up with this weird thing about rubbing heads, <laughs> but don't try to, well, I mean, this is the thing about being a zealot about it, right? When you're a zealot about something, you invite people to challenge you on it. When you're just chilled out about it, then it's like, I don't know, it's, it's like... The Matthew McConaughey school of coming up with medical treatments. Nobody's going to go to Matthew McConaughey and be like, well, I, I admit that we should not just keep living. Because they're like, what, what's the point of that? Why are you trying to argue with Just him? keep rubbing heads. Yeah, just just rub the head. Just keep <laughs> rubbing heads. Not quite as pithy a statement of, of uh, sort of personal philosophy as just keep living, but I guess it has its place. <laughs> so uh, this, this movement that he created became very popular from about 1810 to about 1840. Not a good run for phrenology. So maybe that's what happens when you're not a zealot about your that's right. about your you movement. So it caught so 1796 it like is it created. It catches its stride in 1810 to 1840, right? Right. I bet I wonder I wonder when he died. Cuz that makes me wonder if people were just like, well, I don't know, he's gone now, so he didn't it, even seem to believe it that much. It does outlive him a little bit, but we'll get it. You're jumping way ahead. Sorry, it gets into I'm that. sorry, Sidster. I'm sorry. So, so he started out. His he he had the initial theories. It kind of spread throughout Europe. Different places uh, stuck to it to different degrees. You know, some countries were like, forget this, and others really got into it. Uh, the center for its study eventually ended up in Edinburgh. Uh, there was a phrenolog- phrenological society there, and that was kind of the seat of um, investigation into this uh, until it became unpopular, which, as I said, was not very long after it became popular. His idea was that there's really, at this point in time, there's no good way to study the brain of living people, mm-hmm. right? So we we could wait until people died and we could dissect brains and kind of look at them, but we had no clue what different, What I mean, you know, what did what did they do so they're the center of thought and they control everything and they're connected to everything but what do we know past that i mean does he have any basis for it i mean is there any sort of grounding and so this is what he thought you can't you there's no way to dissect a brain or to figure out by poking it what parts of it do different things while a person is alive uh so what he thought was okay let's go ahead and and theorize that there are different parts of the brain that are responsible for different things. Makes sense. Which That's is true. Accurate. Which is true. Yep. And he said, so in if we think that this that the center of personality of who you are also resides in the brain, fair enough. Yeah, legit. Then if then there's gotta be a bunch of different segments that control your personality. So different parts of your personality. Okay. So there's your kindness part and there's your anger part. So he's doing good so far. More or less. I mean, this the brain's not divided quite 
to that extent. Not as cleanly as he might have hoped. No, but I mean, the idea that different parts do different things is certainly 100% true. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where things get a, go a little awry. So he thought if there's a part of your brain, let's say you're an exceptionally kind person. And I am. And so there would be a part of your brain where your kindness would come from. Mm-hmm. His theory is that that part would be bigger than in someone who wasn't as kind. And since he believed that the the cranium, the skull, fit around the brain, like when you're forming as a baby, mm-hmm. just like a glove, you know, just just smooshes right up against the brain tissue really closely. And since he believed that baby skulls, while they're forming, are probably, you know, malleable and flexible and squishy and can move with the brain, that if that kind part of your brain gets bigger the corresponding area of your skull would expand to would also get bigger to fit so hmm. there, so there you go and so by measuring so it wasn't just feeling the bumps on somebody's head i mean yes that was part of it because if there was a particularly well developed area of the brain in one you know in one trait uh so to region so to speak that would be bigger or bumpy. So would he have to sort of back into it, I guess, right? Like find someone who is regarded as exceptionally kind and then check out their head and just try to find some areas. Exactly. So what he looked for were people who had something that would be a very um, defining or outstanding trait that he could study so he could make those associations and then try to apply them to everybody else. It's weird that he was even able to create a, any kind of consensus, you know? Like you would think... with a random sampling of like four people like it would be pretty easy to disprove well this is this is where this is where things get sticky this is why most of what you'll read about phrenology online immediately uh, recognizes that it's a pseudoscience Mm -hmm. uh most of his early subjects were criminals right so he was specifically looking for you know some sort of uniformity can i find one place on every one of these people's heads or at least on multiple heads mm-hmm. that is enlarged and then I will call it like a criminal area. A cri- the crime the crime lump. Well, he also, to be more specific, um, he called it either the murder organ or the theft organ. <laughs> Depending on what you did, right. obviously. You know. Right. Now, if you did both, you just look like the elephant man. It was heinous. <laughs> or, organs everywhere. Now, and to be, uh, to be fair, all the areas that he eventually came up with on the brain were called organs. He kind of looked at the brain as a collection of eventually that, and this, this is where we start to go awry. He looked at all of the different um, like personality regions as different organs to themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they were all kind of squished together as the brain. Mm. So every region was called the organ. He thought there were 27 distinct organs um, 19 of those are shared by multiple species, so not just humans. Okay. But then the rest are unique to humans. Um, so you would just go around, and so basically what he did was go around and measure, you know, different parts of criminal skulls, and then when he found, like, oh, these three people all have this one area that's big, he basically said, okay, this is the crime area. I'm going to keep looking for more crime area, like people with an enlarged crime area, and only count them. This is why this wasn't a great science. Theory being, perhaps, if you were to press him on it, and you shouldn't press on him right now because, I don't know, bugs would come out or something, but um, you, if you yeah, were to press him on he's it... He's definitely that, gone 
gone by now. While there would be a trend of people who had the crime law been and also committed crime, having the, the the murder organ or the theft organ wasn't necessarily a prerequisite for committing the crime, right? No, but I mean, a lot of it, this is why things got, this is why this was, it's weird that this was ever accepted as a good science by anybody for any length of time, is that he basically, and this was all of his followers who, the researchers who followed in his footsteps, discarded anybody who didn't fit into his predetermined kind of uh, structure mm-hmm. and only accepted people who proved his theory. Hmm. Um, which is a common theme among everybody who studied phrenology. Uh, and I mean, also, if you're, if you're feeling the bu- heads of a bunch of criminals... You know, you've already determined that everybody you're, you know, everybody whose heads you're examining should have a murder lump. So you just feel where the lumpiest part of the skull maybe naturally is. What did um, what did the uh, the process of doing this look like? Were there tools involved, or was it just you know using your hands? Um, at the time, the only tool you'd really need is to measure. You know, is a measuring tape. So you use your hands and then you measure. Because it's not just, again, it's not just where the bumps are, which is kind of what everybody thinks with phrenology. You just read the bumps on the head. And that now eventually that would become about all it was. But you would also measure different parts of the skull to see how um, broad they were as well. Okay. Like the front versus the side versus this angle and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And he divided it, like I said, into all these different organs and I mentioned a couple. There was the mor- murder organ, the theft organ. There was um, good stuff too, the self-esteem organ. Uh, some very specific things, the love for your children organ, <laughs> the wit organ, uh, the conjugal love organ. Hey. That's in your brain. Yeah, it not, is. Not the other one. What's up? Um, there was even, I think this was great. He, he knew there were areas for memory and language, which are true. Correct. Not associated with lumpiness, as far as I know. <laughs> the the area, and you can find these diagrams all over online if you're just curious, if you want to feel your own head and try to, you know. And I do. <laughs> phrenology, phrenologize, phren, phren, whatever, yourself. Um, the area for language is this, like, tiny area under your eye, <laughs> which I don't know how helpful that is. Um, so anyway, he developed all his theories and uh, he was not like i said he just kind of wanted to sit there and study criminals and write about it and publish some books you think he just liked touching criminal heads maybe maybe that maybe was that his, was a fetish maybe that was his game and he, he but he wanted to publish books about it but he was not out there lecturing and trying to turn all scientists to his way of thinking because i think deep down he knew it was made up maybe 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 a little bit it's weird. It like I said, for somebody with a scientific mind to just any this is evidence that doesn't fit our our predetermined thesis, so we'll throw it out. You get to a point, Sid, where you just want to make your mark. You know, you just don't want the the march of time to forget you, so you'll try anything, even rub the heads of criminals. I don't know why you want your mark to be a murder organ. Fair enough. Uh, a couple of his big followers. One was Johann Spurzheim. He worked with him initially as an anatomist, and then he went on. They had some sort of fight, and they went their separate ways. But he was a—he was still an ardent follower of his. Um, he lectured a lot and did try to promote the ideas um, more so. He also refined 
the theories a little bit, got rid of some weird stuff like the murder organ, for instance. <laughs> um, on the phrenology bus, you'll probably find an antique st- uh, stores. You wouldn't necessarily see that anymore. Oh. Um, he, uh, there was also George Combs. Well, because it's very, it's very judgy, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's like nobody wants to be told, like, what, ooh, and now ooh. what's that organ called again? Um, it's sort of like the bad feeling, like the bad vibes, mean guy <laughs> organ. <laughs> it's when you're not being so nice. It's when you're, like, not being so nice. It's when you stop being nice and start being real. It's like, that's cool, because I, I really want to marry you, but, like, well, tell me about this organ. Um... And, uh, and like I said, uh, George Combe was the other one who started spreading it to the English-speaking world. And you said, you know, before you married somebody, you'd want to know about their murder organ. That's not far off. W- at the peak of its popularity, not only would you absolutely want to go, you know, get your head examined mm-hmm. so you could find out about yourself, they would advise you on good partners for you. You could get a prospective spouse checked out. And make sure that they don't have a really large murder organ. Just a tastefully sized murder organ. <laughs> you could, um, even if you were an employer, you could demand that before you hired somebody, they go to their local phrenologist and get their head checked out. And make sure that like their honesty is is big. <laughs> I assume the protocol was just you slide the guy a five do- fiver and say, like, listen. We all know this is made up. And there was definitely some of that. Um, as as it became more popular and spread, there were a lot of people who used this, um, a lot like um, palm reading or fortune telling. Okay. You know? oh, also, I'll read the bumps on your head for five more dollars. No problem. Um, it did... One thing it did do is it was as it was becoming popular is influence the prison system because there was this idea that you're, you know, you're kind of, you are who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's already built into the way your brain is designed that you couldn't punish people out of this kind of behavior. So it's because it's predetermined. Right. So you could, but what you could do is empower them by teaching them about themselves and then reforming them to kind of take, okay, these are your bad impulses. This is what you're born with. Let's channel these in a healthy way. Mm. So for instance, one example I found was Let's say that you have a really large murder organ and, and you I want do. to kill people a lot. Mm-hmm. Just become a butcher. Ah, perfect. Like Dexter. <laughs> well, I mean, that's really, that was the idea, which wasn't a, a negative thing at all to happen to the prison system. Uh, so basically, you know, reform was, over punishment. They were saying that, yes, there is a predetermined reason why you have an excuse, but we're asking you to accept that excuse and overcome it with hard work i'm assuming they've just never met people before like never met a human being (laughs) it's the only thing i can figure out now this is i don't know i mean we're going into like the victorian times i didn't think these were necessarily hopeful times but this is cited as one of the reasons why this did gain some popularity despite its lack of any scientific basis is that it allowed for this balance between free will and predetermination Mm -hmm. so Yes, this is the way your brain is when you're born, but by going and getting yourself checked out and then knowing what you're up against, you can decide how you're going to live your life. You know, you can decide whether you're going to be a murderer or not. Um, It was also a time when people thought it was very fashionable to be well-informed. So this was an easy-to-understand science, so to speak. Like all the great scientists, (laughs) it was easy to understand. So it was very very cool. It was very trendy to be able to explain it and have had it done. Um, It was reconciled very well by the people who, you know, um, who kind of proselytized it with Christianity. And a lot of scientific theories at the time weren't. 
So nobody nobody was offended by this because as we've kind of talked about, you know, God has made you this way and he's put things inside you that are going to make you want to do, you know, going to make you want to sin and commit, you know, do these bad things, but it's up to you to resist that temptation. And, mm-hmm. and this all fit very well with, you know, kind of Judeo-Christian values. Um, and that's why, you know, like I said, at this point, it became pretty popular to open a phrenology parlor, whether or not you had any understanding of phrenology, and then read your read people's skull for a pretty high price. I think it's simpler than all this, honestly, Sidster. I, I, I think it boils down to one simple thing. Most people, a lot of people, not all people, most people like to have their head touched. They like somebody <laughs> touching their head. It's very pleasant. Like, you could go to the doctor. He's not going to say, like, you have a, you have, like, the cancer organ or something. Like, it's not going to be bad. He's just going to, like, rub your head for a while. It's nice. I just, it's nice to have somebody rub your head. Are you asking me to rub your head more? Not at the moment. I've got this lump here, and it's actually quite painful. But once I've come through the surgery, well, I'm sorry. If I come through the surgery, I, I would like that very much. Thank you. Um... I could just avoid rubbing your lump. Maybe, but what if you rub the lump away and then my phrenologist doesn't know that I have a murder organ and then <laughs> I've put everybody I love in danger? You didn't even think about that. If you have a murder organ, you really should have told me before we got married. Playing fast and loose. Definitely before I got pregnant. I, I smell a downfall, by the way, especially since I know that this only lasted for 30 years, really. So, yeah. So, at, by 1840, people were starting to get a little wary of this. Um it was falling out of uh, out of favor with kind of the upper classes throughout mm-hmm. Europe. And this is the, really how this, it was like a trend. It was like a baby names or something. You know, the, the royal people and the rich people, the high class people all got really into it. And then they lost interest. And then a lot of scientists who were very popular at the time were saying, this is crap. There's no way this is right. So as it started to decline among, you know, rich people and royals, everybody else kind of followed suit. Um, by 1850, it was in very steep decline. Very few people uh, were, you know, practicing it or or believing in it. Um, and part of this too is because as we move, um, you know, the the last dregs of it that continued to now I should say that continued through the late 1800s. It did. I mean, there were still people, and you could definitely find like um, charlatans who were going you know, kind of traveling around, especially in the U.S., Mm -hmm. reading, like I said, reading your fortune and, hey, your head while we're at it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It started to become used as a tool for some racist ideologies. So, you know, they would check out differences in size and shape of different skulls across different ethnicities and, you know, different racial groups and then say, oh, this is how we can tell that everybody of European descent is definitely superior. So that turned, obviously, turned a lot of people off. Um and made it kind of one of those uncomfortable fringe things that you weren't really into if you were a, a good scientist. Um, there was a brief second life that this had in the U.S. And this is where, like I said, if you find one of those antique uh, phrenology busts, you know, I mean, I've seen them. A lot of people have them. Um, I think, like, they're popular now. You can probably buy them. Like, on Etsy or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if you find an authentic one in the U.S., it was probably made by the Fowlers, two brothers, Orson and Lorenzo, who lived in New York, um, right at kind of the tail end of the whole phrenology thing. 
Uh, they jumped into it. A little uh, late to it. Yeah, they were late to the game, but they opened a phrenology practice and then started producing these phrenology busts. And that kind of gave it a, a brief second life in the U.S. Hmm. Um, even though it was still widely not accepted, there were a few people like Thomas Edison, for instance, oh, who was job, a proponent, huh? Ralph Waldo Emerson. Thomas Edison is always such a creep. <laughs> Serious, that guy's in the pit. You don't like Thomas Edison? Oh, let's do a story about Thomas Edison someday. I know there's not a big medical connection. That guy was the worst. Maybe, Stole from everybody. It's the pits. Maybe you'll have to tell me all about Thomas Edison. I will. I'll tell you about Thomas Edison. Um, but basically, because they started making these really cool phrenology busts that were really easy to understand, again, because you just look at the head and you look and go, oh, that's the spot where hope is. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, my hope area feels really big. And, oh, hey, look, your wit area isn't very big. I could have told you that. Much like Bill Clinton. Waka waka. <laughs> Much like Bill Clinton, I still believe in a place in my brain called hope. <laughs> it's right here under this large lump. It's under my eyeball next to my language. So um, one interesting side note before I close this out here is that um, Orson Fowler, one of the two Fowler brothers who made all those phrenology busts, um, also invented the octagonal house. I found this mentioned so many times as I was reading about it, I had to click on the link and find out what they were talking about. <laughs> I'm this assuming is, you're just an octagonal building. Yeah, it's an octagonal house. Okay, got it. <laughs> it was it was a briefly popular style of architecture in the uh, Victorian era, mm -hmm. um, and you can still find them across the U.S. You probably some of you have seen, I'm sure, an octagonal house. Literally, it's just an octagonal house. I'm rubbing your head here to see if I can find the easily entertained center <laughs> of your brain. <laughs> there are pictures. I'm They're, assuming they look enlarged. lovely. They have like a veranda all the way around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, the the only it's to other... keep people out because otherwise, people are like, I've got to live in that house. <laughs> it's on tagline. I don't, I don't know how beautiful. to get in. Where's oh. the front? <laughs> um, in in 1905. So at this point, again, there's very few people practicing this phrenology, but there was a guy in Wisconsin, Henry Lavery, who said, you know what? Maybe if we just updated it, made it a little more high tech. Pizzazz people would be into it. So he invented something called the psychograph. Mm -hmm. um, you can find pictures of this online. It's like a chair you sit in with a big metal dome that they kind of lower down over your head. Uh, it doesn't like connect to your head in any way. It just sits on it. And there are like different pressure points, you know, the different little metal spokes will touch on your head, kind of rest on your ears. And anyway, it, it electronically reads your personality is the idea. Okay. It will provide I mean, you. it doesn't. No, it doesn't at all. <laughs> it doesn't do any of that. But the idea was that it would provide you with a little paper printout, which would, um, it would take, it had 32 different areas. So not 27. Now we have 32 organs and it will rate you from either deficient to very superior in all of these different areas. Oh just by putting it on your head. Um, and then it had like an accompanying like vocational chart that you could use your results to try to figure out what job you should have. Seems legit. Um, I read that you can still find these. Uh, there used to be a, something called the uh, Independent Museum or the Museum of Questionable Medical Devices. That's what it's called, the Museum of Questionable Medical Devices. It's been, as far as I can tell online, consumed by the Science Museum of Minnesota in St. Paul. Mm -hmm. So I think you can, if you live near there, you can go check out these psychographs. I smell a road trip, Sid. Um, yeah, I would like to, because it showed pictures on the website of, like, guests and tourists, like, trying them on. I want to do it. I know. Let's I want to know. Uh, well, it, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed our 
podcast. I hope the the part of your brain that measures uh, podcast pleasure is enlarged right now. And and if any of you are still practicing phrenology now, I'd love Stop. to. Stop. Well, that's interesting. Like to hear about that. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think it's. You didn't ask me, but I'll tell you. I don't think it's practice today. Okay, is it? And it's not legit, right? We clarify. No, there was really no science behind it. Um, it did lead us to some better understanding of a certain th- of certain things and some interesting ideas. So it wasn't entirely useless. Mm-hmm. But no, the idea of phrenology was flawed, um, and I do not think it's a big movement by any stretch today. Thank you to people tweeting about the show, like Mark Little, Krusty Jen, Katie, Jennifer, uh, Lear Moriarty. I'm assuming. Lear, yeah, Lear Moriarty. Liar. Well, it's short for lyric. Uh, Lear Moriarty. Lear? Let's go with okay. that. Maggie L, uh, E C Elliot, Ashton, Cleekaz, uh, Tribor, Justin Allison, Justin Allison again, Amber Wojcik. So many others. Thank you so much for tweeting about our program. You can use the at Sawbones username to tweet about us, but don't put that first because otherwise, only people. Who follows will see that, and you got to be really careful. About Nobody it. knows how to use Twitter. Nobody knows really. how to use Twitter. I mean, basically. I mean, me included. Like, I don't know how to use it. Um, so, thank you for listening. We hope that you will uh, subscribe to our program on iTunes and tell somebody you care about to do the same. While you're there, why not leave us a review or a rating? We sure appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Whenever you can, I make read the time. them all. We want to thank the taxpayers uh, for letting us use their song. The Medicines, or just Medicines, actually. Uh, you can find all their music at myspace.com forward slash the taxpayers and go uh, buy all their stuff. Follow them on Twitter at the taxpayers. So thank you so much to them. And thank you to the Maximum Fun Network for letting us be a part of your great lineup of shows like The Goose Down, Jordan, Jesse Go, Stop Podcast Yourself, Wham Bam Pal, One Bad Mother. My brother, my brother, and me. So many. Uh, so many fine programs. And you should go enjoy them all at MaximumFun.org. While you're there, why not discuss our program in the forums And I think that's everything. That's going to do it for us. All right. We'll go take care of that mystery lump now. Come rub my head. Uh, And be sure to join us again for another episode of Sawbones next Tuesday. Until then, I'm Justin. I'm Sydney. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.